Section 24 of The End of the Middle Age, 1273-1453 by Eleanor Constance Lodge. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 12. The Spanish Peninsula, Part 2. Henry succeeded his father when only eleven years old, Henry III, 1390-1406. Despite his youth, the reign was one of the most peaceful and prosperous Castile had enjoyed for a long time. Unfortunately, his early death brought a renewal of troubles under his little son John, who was only two years old, on his accession. The reign of John II, 1406-1454, was most prosperous so long as his uncle Ferdinand was regent. After he came of age in 1419, it was simply a record of the work of Álvaro de Luna, constable of Spain, the most celebrated warrior of the time, who held the weak-minded king in such subjection that he is said to have not even ventured to go to bed without his permission. Álvaro, though short and bald, excelled all Spaniards in dancing, horsemanship, and minstrelsy. He had more solid qualities also as a soldier and leader of men. His power became unbounded and his magnificence unequaled. He was not only constable and grand master of the military order of Santiago, but lord of at least seventy towns and castles and by far the richest man in Spain. The favorite, however, was more famous for military glory and lordly splendor than for statesmanlike qualities, and when in 1453 his execution was forced upon the king by revolt amongst the nobles, encouraged by his own wife and son, he left the kingdom in a weak and disorderly condition. John himself died the year after, and is only worthy of remembrance as the father of that Isabella of Castile, whose marriage with Ferdinand of Aragon established in 1479 a united kingdom of Spain, a kingdom which was raised under their joint rule to a position of real importance in Europe. Aragon, when our period begins, was still under the rule of her famous King James the Conqueror, 1213 to 1276, who had freed his country from the Moors. A man of great personal strength, courage, and energy, he added to his prowess on the field some knowledge of letters, and wrote his own chronicles in the Catalan dialect, one of the chief authorities for the reign that we possess. His domestic government was chiefly occupied in putting down resistance with a heavy hand, and his private life was marred by violence and licentiousness. Yet he was a strong, capable ruler, and a man who commands admiration by his vigor and force of character. Just before his death, he resigned the crown to his son Pedro and joined the Cistercian order, to end his days as a monk in prayer and penitence for his sins. His son, Pedro III, 1276-1285, inherited a good deal of his father's ability and won for himself the title of the Great. Since the Moors were conquered in his territory, the energy of the new king turned toward foreign parts. When the young Conradin, son of the Emperor Frederick II, fighting for the Sicilian crown, had been seized and executed by Charles of Anjou, the glove which he flung down as a gauge of defiance and vengeance was brought to the court of Aragon, 
for Pedro had married a daughter of King Manfred, Constance, the rightful Queen of Sicily. The suspicions of Charles and his ally the Pope were aroused by the warlike preparations the King of Aragon was making, nominally in view of an approaching crusade. When questioned on the matter, the king kept his own counsel. If I thought my right hand knew my secret, he said, I would cut it off, lest it should betray it to my left. But when the Sicilian Vespers excited the people of the island to rise in a body against their French rulers, a Spanish fleet was conveniently near at hand to take their part. After the victories of Roger de Loria, a famous Aragonese admiral, which have already been noticed, Pedro was proclaimed King of Sicily in 1282. In a truly medieval spirit, Charles of Anjou summoned his rival to Bordeaux to settle their disputes in knightly combat. The challenge was accepted, and a rather curious episode followed. Pedro did appear at Bordeaux on the day named, but secretly and before the time, for he suspected a trap, very probably with truth. In any case, he rode round the lists to save his honor, and then, disguised as a merchant, escaped back to his native country, leaving his disappointed rival to proclaim him a coward and a traitor, and to turn to other schemes for his destruction. Pedro had many a trouble through his acceptance of the Sicilian crown. Excommunicated by the Pope and attacked by Philip III of France, he died immediately after his adversary, from wounds and a fever contracted in the war. After the death of Pedro, a series of kings followed whose reigns have left but little permanent trace on the history of Aragon. One of them, James II, conquered Sardinia from the Genoese, whilst his brother Frederick successfully established his claims to the kingdom of Sicily. For the most part, each sovereign spent a troublous career fighting with his own turbulent nobles who were ambitious of extending their influence over the whole conduct of government. At the close of the 14th century, there was a period of disputed succession, the troubles of which were encouraged by Pope Boniface IX, who was at enmity with the Spanish kingdoms on account of their support of his rival Benedict XIII, himself a Spaniard. King Martin, 1395 to 1410, who was recognized by most of the people, is important as uniting the kingdom of Sicily to that of Aragon. He had much trouble with this new possession, and also from revolts in Sardinia, stirred up against him by papal intrigue. On his death, fresh succession disputes broke out, six rival candidates entering into competition for the vacant throne. At so critical a time, the strength of the Constitution was strikingly displayed. Government was continued by the Justicia and the Parliament, as the Cortes was called. The situation, however, was becoming dangerous, and civil war threatened until a council was assembled containing representatives from the three great provinces of which the kingdom was composed, Valencia, Catalonia, and Aragon for the purpose of considering the different claims. After an orderly and careful deliberation, the council held a solemn meeting begun by service in the church and announced their decision to the assembled crowd. The elected monarch was Ferdinand of Castile, 1412-1416, a nephew of the late King Martin, 
and a man who had already given proof of the greatest wisdom and moderation as regent of Castile during the minority of the feeble John II. During his short reign he worked for his country with a zeal and unselfishness which did much to solve some of the worst difficulties of the time, and won for himself the title of the honest or the just. Troubles in Sicily and Sardinia were quieted, and marriages were made, which connected Aragon with Castile and Navarre. When Ferdinand's early death placed his son, Alfonso V, 1416-1458, on the throne, there was little trouble to fear in his Spanish dominions. Alfonso therefore turned his attention to Italy, where he inherited Sicily and Sardinia, and had hopes of succession in Naples too. His connection with this country arose from the action of Queen Joanna, who had no heirs of her own, and offered to adopt him as her son and to confer on him the right of succeeding her on the throne. This offer, gladly accepted, was later recalled by the changeable queen, who adopted instead Louis III of Anjou, with the result that a bitter struggle ensued between the two. When Joanna died in 1435, Alfonso claimed the vacant throne, which was now disputed by René of Provence, known to us as the father of Margaret of Anjou, a younger brother of Louis, who had died just before his adopted mother. Eventually, the king of Aragon was successful and ruled for the rest of his life as Alfonso the Magnanimous, king of Aragon and the two Sicilies. His name is better known in the history of Italy than in that of Spain. The history of Navarre during this period is scarcely worth following in detail, but it may be well to remember that Philip the Fair united the little kingdom to France by his marriage with Queen Joan in 1274, that in 1328, when Philip VI succeeded in France, Navarre was once more ruled as a separate kingdom under another Joan, mother of the well-known Charles the Bad, and that connection with Aragon was established by the marriage of Queen Blanche of Navarre to John, brother of Alfonso V, and ultimately his successor. The troubles which resulted, however, in the war between John and his son Charles extend beyond the limits of our period, and it was not until much later still that the little kingdom lost its separate existence, the southern part being seized by Ferdinand of Castile, while the northern was in the 16th century united to France by the succession of Henry IV of Navarre. The turbulent history of these Christian kingdoms during the present period may be wanting in interest and unity, but it introduces us to some of the actors in the European drama. It is specially connected with the history of Sicily, where the dynasty of Aragon made good its claim, with France owing to quarrels with the House of Anjou, and with the French help given to Henry of Trastamar, and with England, whose loss of Gascony in the 14th century largely resulted from the disastrous alliance between Pedro and the Black Prince, and with whom war was caused by the claims of John of Gaunt to the Castilian succession. Every century was also bringing a step nearer the ultimate union of Spain and her period of greatness, when she was to take up a position of the utmost importance both in Europe and in the New World. The neighboring kingdom of Portugal had been struggling into a nation, partly by reason of its long wars with the Moors, partly by its resistance to Castile, which was never strong enough to absorb it. 
In the 15th century, the Portuguese led the way in the new development of maritime enterprise and discovery. This was largely due to Prince Henry the Navigator, son of John I of Portugal and grandson of our own John of Gaunt. He was determined to find a new route to India around the continent of Africa and fitted out repeated expeditions which explored the African coast and made many important discoveries, amongst others, of the islands of Madeira, the Canaries, and the Azores. The Cape of Good Hope was not rounded during the lifetime of the enterprising prince, but it was a Portuguese seaman who first succeeded in the attempt toward the close of the century and opened out the new route to India. The great epoch of discovery, with all its far-reaching results, lies beyond our present period, but before 1453 Portugal was already pointing out a new road to fame and wealth. End of section 24